Okay, cowboy, here's the odds. The time has come. Time for adventure. It's nail-biting time again. And this time, this time, this time with a vengeance. This time, it's personal. It couldn't possibly get any worse. Attack of the Third rides again. I am your host, Night Owl Joe. And I am Dave, uh, better known on Twitter, I guess, as Darn That Dave. And this time we are covering uh, a classic movie, a good movie, um, I'm sure that Dave is happy about, uh, Indiana Jones <laughs> and the Last Crusade. Yeah, and who's who's responsible for us actually watching <laughs> a good movie this uh, time? I, I'll give that honor to you. You picked this one out for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I needed a palate cleanser after the hideous movie that you made me watch. Uh, so we have moved to Indiana Jones and the last crusade. So, um, so I mean, obviously, I mean, it feels silly to ask this question. I'm sure you've seen this a thousand times before. This is of not course. a first time watch for either one of us. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, did you notice like anything different when you watched it this time? Kind of, how did you go into the movie? Um, I, I did notice a couple things that um, not new essentially, but that struck me a different way than they have before. Uh, one of the things that I don't think I ever really paid much attention to or, or gave enough credit to was River Phoenix's uh, performance oh. as young Indy. He got the mannerisms down like, yeah, phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. River River Phoenix, um, in terms of uh, performances, in terms of acting, is a huge loss that he died so young because just an immensely, immensely talented actor, whether, you know, you're talking about this or My Own Private Idaho yes. um, or uh, what was the other? The oh, Stand By Me, like just <laughs> always just great. Uh, and this is I mean, I think this is an easy one to cast aside, as you mentioned, because it's like, you mm -hmm. know, it's a minimal role. Right. It's it's just a flashback, uh, although the flashback does end up mattering uh, to the rest of the movie. Right. Um, but yeah, it's not very many actors you could say, OK, not only you're going to be indie, right, a mm -hmm. known quantity at this right. point, a, you know, star of two hugely successful movies, but also you have to perfect the mannerisms of Harrison Ford, oh, not boy. only known for this, but for many other movies. So. And it's not as if he looks like Harrison Ford. Right. So you, you don't have that built in like, oh, that's good enough for me because uh, he looks enough like him. Looks very, very different. Much. How do I say this? Like, I guess much more effeminate in his looks, mm -hmm. uh, much prettier than someone like Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford, obviously a very attractive, good looking man, but kind of looks rough around the edges, like mm -hmm. rough and tumble type masculine <laughs> guy where River is a very, very pretty boy uh in this movie and yeah. throughout his whole career so the fact that i watch it and i forget it's i kind of forget it's a performance right i, ju I just kind of watch him and i'm like yeah that's young indie that's that's good <laughs> enough for me and uh i also like that it kind of it it gives us an explanation for i i think it makes it doesn't make the mistake that something like you know another young version of a harrison ford character a movie like solo mix where they try to explain every little thing uh, and then it kind of takes away a little bit from that character. Whereas this just gives you kind of the greatest hits in this one, uh, this one adventure, right? You have his passion for archaeology, his passion for 
putting things where they belong. You know, it belongs in a museum and you have the fear of snakes and it's all taken care of very well. Very much so. Well, I mean, it does, it does kind of tackle everything that makes indie indie almost in one go, the hat, mm-hmm. his, his image oh, right. or, uh, you know, the whip too. Yeah. The whip, mm-hmm. uh, the scar on his chin, but it's handled in a way that feels organic. And yeah. it, it doesn't feel like they're saying, Hey guys, here it is. You know, <laughs> right. it's just, it's, and this is in what, like 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's a, masterful stuff. Oh yeah. Very much so. And it, it, it again, shows how Spielberg and, and he doesn't get enough credit for this. I think in today's sort of film discourse, which is nauseating, Spielberg can take <laughs> B movie material and direct it with such craft and style yeah. that he elevates it to the point where I think a lot of people don't realize he's just doing an outsized, uh, you know, Hollywood big budget uh, Saturday cereal, you know, Saturday matinee cereal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's all there, but these movies, they have like, um, I guess, uh, a prestige quality to them because they're just so well directed you don't yeah. see that kind of quality in other films of the same genre yeah yeah absolutely and i think it's really interesting that <laughs> i think basically what you're led to believe here in this elongated sequence is this criminal this treasure hunter is weirdly in a lot of weird ways kind of who indy chooses to emulate maybe mm-hmm. not in personality but certainly in personal style uh, and it's a very odd choice because that character could be seen as someone who is purely negative. Uh, mm-hmm. But I like the fact that it kind of ends with essentially it's the idea of, you know, you may have lost the battle, but you haven't lost the war yet. Like, you know, pick yourself up and keep trying. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting thing to do to have this guy who is the opposite of what Indy wants to be. Um, absolutely. But, but yet takes some stuff from this. Oh, I absolutely agree. And it's interesting because. Um, for our viewers who, who don't know yet, one of the test episodes we did, we, we sort of, you know, finding our legs here, we talked about, you know, Temple of Doom. And in that, uh, we talked about, you know, Indiana Jones as a symbol of masculinity and how it's very different from other uh, masculine macho symbols from that era. And that it's not about how, uh, you know, strong he is or how invincible he is. It's the opposite. It's about how, you know, resilient he is, how respectful and knowledgeable he is. And I think that scene with this character who's only listed as Fedora in the credits, it, 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 uh, you know, uh, symbolizes that perfectly in the end where, you know, this guy could have been played up as a total villain, like, yeah, you know, but he says, you know, uh, you lost today, kid, but that doesn't mean you have to like it. And that's indie, Mm. you know, like that's his personality. And that guy was like, you know, the flip side of the coin. And I thought that scene just tied everything together perfectly. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, kind of as a lead into the the main plot of this movie, another thing we talked about in that, you know, quote unquote, lost episode, because <laughs> uh, that would be Attack of the Second. And we, and Joe just can't have that. No, no, <laughs> no number twos in this show. Uh, one of the things we talked about is one of the things that, um, I think connects the audiences, the audience so much to Indy as opposed to other action stars is that he does, he does what he does for people he loves for his family, for his friends. And man, if there was ever a movie about Indy and his family, uh, Indiana Jones and the last crusade is really it, isn't it? So you're telling me this time it was personal. Shut up. Jesus. (laughs) You and your horrible, horrible taglines. Yes. Yes. Joe, this time is personal. (laughs) 
it really is though. And I think that's part of what makes this, uh, you know, outing so special with indie is because we've had all these people that are sort of a surrogate family. And when mm-hmm. you finally, you know, uh, open the box and take a look inside and you see his real family, it's every bit as dysfunctional and simultaneously hearing <laughs> as you would come to expect from a Spielberg movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this movie makes a lot of really interesting choices. Um, it, you know, Indy is always, always kind of put upon, but he always feels like, at least in the first two movies, that he's still very much in control of the situation. Yes. He's the one who's leading. And I love the fact that in this, as soon as, you know, Henry Jones Sr. is introduced, you can see him almost sink into the background a little bit. Like he's constantly kind of frustrated and isn't really able to be himself because he's constantly being told by his dad, that like, no, no, you can't act like that. You know, why would you have a gun? Why would you, why would you do all these things? That's not the family business, uh, which I find really interesting. And it's yet another really great um physical comedic performance from oh Harris absolutely Ford. i i especially love the scene where he's trying to rescue his dad from the castle and uh he crashes mm. through the window <laughs> you know it's hit over the head with the vase and he's like junior he just stands at attention <laughs> immediately so well trained <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly like he is he has been through it before and you know speaking of those comedic moments in that very scene there's a moment where you know, uh, Sean Connery played his father, says, I'll never forgive myself. Oh, it breaks the heart. And the head. You hit me, Dad. I'll never forgive myself. Don't worry, I'm fine. Thank God. <laughs> it's fake. Yeah. Like, yeah, that is, that's Dad. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I think I love that the character of Indiana Jones precisely because he is constantly in that position. Like one of my friends was mentioning that, you know, he has uh, Harrison Ford has a propensity for taking a certain kind of roles that allow him to do a certain kind of thing. And even though he disappears into those roles, they're not often very comedic. And when he plays Indy, he's so frustrated all the time. Right. You know? especially in this one, like you pointed out, so frustrated and it leads to some fantastic comedy throughout the movie. Right. This is probably the funniest one of the three. Yeah. No, I think so. I think they really leaned into it and, you know, Harrison Ford has played funny roles before. I mean, I think you could say Han Solo is a comedic yeah. role, but that's a very different, that's a very cocksure yeah. fly boy. Whereas yeah. this is like bordering on self-deprecation, <laughs> uh, like where he just kind of accepts everything that that comes along um one thing i wanted to bring up like as i was watching this movie i was struck of course by the ridiculous beauty of allison duty um who plays elsa uh and i found myself wondering okay other than her very unfortunate last name um (laughs) what why hasn't she been in very many things like she's a really good actress she obviously fits the hollywood mold for for being attractive like what is what's going on and i guess It ends up she had a lot of opportunities, but refused to do movies in which she would be naked. Um, So she um, she was given a chance to play the Nicole Kidman part in Days of Thunder um, and the Sharon Stone part in Basic Instinct. Um, So she turned both of those down, which probably would have been star making roles for her. So it makes me wonder, like in a different world, like where would she be now? Uh, And I guess she also refused a part in Lord of the Rings. Uh, She was going to play Eowyn. 
So this is a woman who had many, many, many opportunities uh, to <laughs> to have a massive, massive career. Uh, and, you know, you know, God love her, stuck to her guns, you know, decided that's not the type of role I want to play. But it makes me wonder, because I've like never seen her in interviews, never really seen much about her other than this. I wonder if she has any regrets about that. If, you know, because those are movies that all did extremely well. Um. I think when you're turning down a role like Lord of the Rings, you know, at that point, it's probably more about the craft to you than it is about the paycheck. Hmm. And I think there's precious few actors in the world who are blessed enough off of their success of one or two movies that can say, I'm I'm never going to act for just a paycheck again. I'm only going to take roles that sincerely interest me. Oh, okay. So I, (laughs) I agree. But to be fair, when Lord of the Rings was filming, they filmed them all concurrently. Nobody thought those were going to make money. That would not have been a paycheck movie because that those, those movies were a big, big surprise. Like if they had filmed uh, Fellowship and that made a bunch of money right. and then later, sure. Uh, but but yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. But she's you know uh, I you know read some interviews with her and she you know she seems pretty happy with herself. She's you know yeah. at one point she lived in a one point nine five million pound estate uh, with a 10,000 square foot house in Ireland. So she's clearly done okay for herself. Uh, I'm not, you know, telling everyone let's, let's pity uh, poor Allison here, but it was anytime you see a gorgeous blonde who has even a modicum of acting talent. And she clearly has more than that. Right. uh, You think like, what, what happened? How did this woman not become just a international massive star but right you know she stood her ground and you know made some respect. choices yeah you know respect. like because i mean you talk about basic instinct i mean that absolutely made sharon stone a mega star immediately yeah that movie came out and she became one of the biggest celebrities in the world and like you know whether you think that's a good thing or not is is up to, up to the person i can right. see that not being great not a great experience especially given the uh the scenes in that movie in particular Oh, well, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. And I'm just from 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 the perspective of turning down uh, a role, you know, it does take a lot of strength of character to turn down uh, high profile roles, period. Even even though Mm -hmm. nobody thought Lord of the Rings was going to work, even even the cast in that movie, the people who did sign on Christopher Lee, you know, Viggo Mortensen, um, I mean, the, the whole I could go on, but I don't want to derail us here but to <laughs> even even have a glimpse of that ensemble and say, no, nah, I'm good. You know, right. it's yeah. like, oh, respect, you know, sticking to your guns. That's yeah, absolutely. And she I guess she made her film debut in a James Bond movie. She was in A View to a Kill and she was the youngest Bond girl ever. Oh, uh, so she's got that going for her, I guess. That was her. Huh? OK. Yep. yep. Jenny Flex. Another classic uh, Bond girl name. But yes, I mean, I think she's she's kind of wonderful here. Um, it's I think it's actually kind of an underrated performance because I think it's a really difficult performance uh, mm-hmm. to give. Like, I think her obvious uh, uh, how easily she works with uh, with both Sean Connery and with Harrison Ford is evident here. Like that first flirtation scene yeah. uh, when Indy first shows up is so great uh and she really and with actors of that caliber it would be easy to be intimidated or to get acted circles around and that never really happens with her yeah um uh the thing i find interesting about this movie is you find out you know relatively quickly 
um, after that scene in the castle that you're talking about that she's a Nazi. Uh, she's working with the Nazis, so she's, you know, terrible, obviously. And yet, by the end of the movie, do you feel at least a tiny bit of pity for her? Or maybe you don't. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's my weakness for hot blondes. Uh, but I, <laughs> I feel like even in that moment, like, because she certainly pays for her mistakes. I definitely feel like she's somebody who was angled at uh, a materialist person who could have been redeemed. She mm-hmm. clearly had no personal belief in Nazi ideology. Uh, she was using them as a means to an end. I don't say that to excuse uh, her behavior or uh, anybody else historically or in the movie who has done that. I, I don't feel pity for her up until that last moment where it's very right. clear that, you know, is she doesn't care about, you know, the Third Reich or any of that. She's still a villain, you know, naturally. Yes. But, um, She's definitely someone who I think even Indy felt could have been redeemed and could have been, you know, put on the right path, so to speak. Right. Uh, But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's a fantastic performance. And it's funny how almost immediately endearing she is. She has such chemistry with Ford. And like her performance is a roller coaster because at first she has to be a certain way and then it like it goes up and they're like a romantic interest. And then it just roller coasters all over the place. <laughs> you probably feel more different things about her character than any other character in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I think that's accurate. I think, I think she has, um, she has the most interesting arc of any of the characters in the movie. And that's not a shot at the writing of the movie as far as the other characters. But as you mentioned, this is a, you know, yes, it's filmed very well. It has major stars. It has you know lots of money behind it. But this is a B movie. Right. Like this is an adventure adventure movie. It's not designed to like make you weepy. It's not designed to like have these gigantic character arcs. Like you know who's good and you know who's bad. Right. Basically from the beginning or at worst like 30 minutes into the movie, you know where everything is. But you're right. She has this interesting arc where she starts out as an ally and then becomes a foe. And then you realize she's just kind of playing a part in order to get where she wants. And then she has a moment where she almost turns back good but then gives in to that desire um, for fortune and glory, for immortal life, for whatever it may be. And that ends up being her downfall. I find it interesting that her downfall isn't working with the Third Reich. Her downfall (laughs) is like, I want to take advantage of this thing that should probably be buried forever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In some some aspects, she feels like a female version of Belloc from the first movie, you know? Yeah. There were some moments, uh, Belloc had some comedic relief moments, and even though he was working with the Nazis, he definitely, you know, in certain scenes was the only thing standing between them and, you know, Karen Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like in the, in that same, after that same, you know, idea, we have this character here. Um, but, and I give props to Spielberg, because, you know, they talk a lot about James Bond behind the scenes, and that he wanted to make a James Bond movie. He ended up making Indiana Jones, and, you know, the Globetrotting Adventures, Here's the franchises, essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, the first femme fatale. And she doesn't get mm. swayed to Indy's principles just because he had a role in the hay with her. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I was, was thinking, like, is this the first, like, kind of evil woman? And yeah, I think you're right. And that's kind of surprising. Yeah. Like, that feels like something that would be in here. Like, 
there's certainly contentious relationships with women right. that Indy has, but no, <laughs> no full on villains. And this is, this is really the first one you get. Um, so, but I think that where this movie really hangs its hat, and I think you kind of referenced it earlier, is the humor of right. this movie. Like, this is, yes, there's dramatic moments. Yes, there's a hero's journey here. There's all the, uh, and there's a lot of kind of video game stuff in this movie. Oh, like yeah. You look at that, like, last sequence where he has to go through the trials um, to get to it. I mean, it feels like I felt like, what's that? There's like a trying to remember what it's called now there's like a very well-known video game franchise at this point they keep trying uncharted? to make a movie yeah this is this is like the start of uncharted uh-huh. like this <laughs> you got to yeah. get through all these uh, all these puzzle solving mm-hmm. yeah exactly um and but that stuff is handled very very well um but i think this may have my favorite comedic cut maybe ever um there's a scene where uh, you know, Marcus is kind of their last hope. Uh, and <laughs> yes. Indy like just looks at it like you'll never find him. He speaks a hundred languages, he knows every custom, he'll blend in, and then they cut, and it's him like wandering around. <laughs> is English, English? Anybody English? <laughs> Brody's got friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear, you'll never see him again. With any luck, he's got the grill already. Uh, does anyone here speak English? Or even ancient Greek? A water? No, thank you, sir. No, fish make love in it. So fantastic. And really, I think it's kind of an underrated skill of Spielberg is his uh-huh. is is his comedic chops. Like, he's very good at it. He's good at balancing it. Yeah. I, this movie comes close. But I don't think any indie movie goes too far into comedy where you're like, okay, now there's no stakes. Now I can't take this seriously. He's very good at just tiptoeing along that line. I mean, and, you know, Connery has always been great, despite the fact that he, you know, thinks beating women is okay. That's not so great. Uh, But as an actor, has always been wonderful. To me, definitely the best James Bond um, has just, has always had that sense of cool. And this is a movie that in a lot of ways, like, disregards all that yeah right there's no cool in this performance (laughs) from uh of henry jones like that's not who he is like the the sequence in the in the plane is one of my favorites you know his like uh, i'm sorry they got a son as he has completely destroyed this plane with the with the gun in the back I mean, it just really, really works. It also, I mean, I tweeted about this when I saw, when I watched the movie again, and I think this is maybe my favorite kind of uh, tagline, not tagline, but favorite like badass line in an action movie ever uh, is Indy's No Ticket. No Ticket. It's like, I forgot how much I love that moment. Like I, it kills. And I can't think of a better one. Like I'm sitting here and thinking of action movies and, you know, there's all the Arnold stuff, you know, I'd like you all kill you last. Like there's a lot of good stuff in there, but this is, this just, it absolutely works. And you have the, the kind of after shot of that, of the guy on the ground shaking his fist at the blip. (laughs) I mean, it just, 
there's so much about this movie that works. Like I could certainly understand people that is if they were like, this isn't my favorite because it goes so hard into comedy. Like I can right. get that. But like, man, this one, I think for pure joy, like out of the three movies, like just pure fun. Yeah. I think this has got to be the top of the three or the top of the four. This is really where it's at. Like this is just a kind of an adventure ride all the way through. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. I think this movie is just ridiculously fun uh, and and funny. You know, uh, my brothers and I had a blast watching it and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't lose any of its charm. I've seen it, like you said, dozens of times. I grew up with it, you know, and it's I'm always hard pressed to say, oh, yeah, you know, one of these movies is my favorite of the three because they're all so good. Um, So it's like, you know, it's like picking between your children. It's very hard to say, you know, which one It's like, oh, you know. Uh, this one, yeah, but and they're all uh, really different, right? Yeah, like they're very the first, different. The first one is like classic adventure. The second one is like almost genre fair, uh-huh. um, and then the third one is like a uh, family comedy. I, like I it's-, think it's yeah, I, I can agree with that. And I think if you take a step back and you look at the actual narratives, I think each each Indiana Jones movie represents a different thematic. Um, cornerstone of spielberg's filmography you know uh, each one has a very different approach to the characters in the movie like in the first one it was uh his love interest with karen allen you know and the second one you had him as like a surrogate father figure for Mm. short round and in this one you reckon with his actual father you know and as that being the template for um well yeah like you reckon with his actual you know father and and how different they became you know, right. later on. And Spielberg has, has tackled these tropes in other movies, you know, a lot. But these, they're so distilled, so like mm-hmm. perfectly, like it's a trilogy. They work so well together, you know. I thought that was cool when I was watching this. I thought, you know, that's really interesting. I never thought about it in those terms before. Yeah, I definitely never put that together, but that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think it's, if you know Spielberg's work, uh, uh-huh. Before and after this, it should not come as a surprise that for most of uh, Indiana's life, his father has been basically absent, like yeah. completely focused on work. Of course, in his later movies and some of his other movies, he focused on complete absence, like, you know, the broken home, the the single mother taking care of the family. Uh, and in this, you don't have quite you don't quite have that. But essentially, you have kind of the same result. You yeah. know, you have a father who's distant, a father who only cares about his work. And will who will only connect with his son when it's about work is right. not like a personal relationship there at all. Like the only time you see him through the young Indiana Jones sequence is like not supporting his son and, yeah. you know, siding with the villain uh, in the very beginning here. So it makes sense that they would have they would have a difficult relationship. Um, so what do you think about this movie? You know, going back to the well with the, with the Nazis, like you had the first movie, which is all Nazis, second movie, which, you know, mildly racist, uh, no Nazis. Uh, and then we're we're back to the well here. We're back to fighting the Third Reich. OK, so I like the second one the most by a hair because it has a really strong villain in Molaran. And mm-hmm. I think that sort of really ties into the concept of Indiana Jones as a serial adventure hero uh, franchise. Even um, this one, it has Walter Donovan. And despite the actor being a, a great actor, his character is very bland. And he's essentially what we have as a main villain. He feels like a discount 
Belloc. And he, mm-hmm. he's not as funny. He's not as intimidating. He's not as witty even. He's just kind of there. And again, if Indy had done nothing, if he had stepped back and done nothing, the Nazis would have all killed themselves in the freaking grail room. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, just like the first time, the Nazis are bumbling, inept idiots who, uh, uh, for all their evils, are just kind of ridiculous. And I think part of that is the dressing down uh, concept. Mel Brooks did that with one of his movies, too, of, you know, making the Nazis out to be idiots because they're so bad. But I think when you have them as the villains in your adventure movie, lean into that. Make Mm. them vile. Make them diabolical. You know, if I knew nothing about the Nazis, right, I'm five years old, didn't know anything about the Nazis, I would not understand from watching these movies why they are so evil mm. these movies never touch on that right well and- i think i think the first one does i mean you have kind of you know um i can't remember the character's name now but the character at the beginning who gets burned uh by the by the the little piece of jewelry like he's clearly yeah. the stand-in for the evil the like absolute evil of the nazis but right. i think you're right in this movie you don't really have that i think they're they're kind of figuring, ah, you you get it. They're Nazis. It's shorthand. You know they're right. evil. And you're right. This lead, this lead villain is much more of a plot device than mm-hmm. anything else. He's there to set things in motion. Like he's the one who tells Indy, you know, that his dad is missing. And he's like, I need you to do this for me. And kind of sends him on this chase. And then, you know, he's there at the end to drink from the wrong cup and have some really fun special effects happen. So yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's all yeah. he's there for. And I think if just on that merit alone, that this, you know, uh, Last Crusade might be my least favorite of the three, mm. uh, precisely because I do like a really strong So what you're villain. saying is you hate Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. Don't put that out there on the internet, Dave. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to get canceled over, over this. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like the GOAT discussion in basketball with Michael Jordan and LeBron James, just because... You know, LeBron James isn't my number one doesn't mean I'm a hater just because, you know, The Last Crusade isn't my favorite indie movie. It's the least of the three for me doesn't mean I'm a hater. It's still a fantastic mm. movie. Five Interesting. Star Interesting. Uh, I'm, well, this is a conversation for another time, but I don't even think LeBron James makes my top five. So respect, uh... respect. No, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, yeah. The the other thing I kept thinking as I was watching this movie is uh, Steven Spielberg should sue Steven Summers. Um, is there? And I never really caught on to this before, but there's a whole plot line in here of these like defenders of the Grail, the right? Medjai Where, from the Mummy, yeah. Right. I was like, <laughs> what? Like down to the accent. Yeah. Everything. I was like, what the fuck? How did you get away with this? Like, right. this is so blatant, but maybe it's not blatant because I never noticed it before. Right. But as I was watching this now, but I haven't seen The Mummy in probably five or six years. And I was watching that whole sequence, like, where have I seen this before? And then like five minutes later, like the, the light bulb went off and it completely dawned on me. And I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah. this is kind of shameless. Like, yeah. we will give our life to defend this secret. And I was like, well, hmm, yeah, we've definitely I've definitely seen this since. Uh, so Mr. Spielberg, I mean, I know Spielberg's got enough money. The man's a, a billionaire at this point, but I'm like, man, you can't let him get away with that. The disrespect. Uh, I don't know. I feel it was kind of, uh, on Summer's part, an homage, you know? No, 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 no. That is theft. An homage is like, oh, there are similar things. 
this is like the only difference is what they're what they're protecting. Everything else is like, I mean, the hair is the same. <laughs> the outfits are nearly the same. I was just like, oh, come on, guys. Well, to, to be fair, we got, you know, the Med Giant, the mummy are wearing the robes, riding on horses. They got the tattoos on their heads, you know. Yeah, they're in the fucking desert. They're going to exactly, have different exactly, stuff. Exactly, exactly. Come on, man. That's, I think you're making too many excuses for old well, Stephen Summers. I, it, it's the, the, <laughs> I, I love, I love that, man. But, uh. <laughs> But no, like, I think the mummy itself is an homage, like the whole movie, the direction they took with it from horror to adventure is very oh, sure. much a, a proto uncharted as much as Indiana Jones is, you know, making uh, Brendan Fraser uh, that much more wisecracking, that much funnier. The template was Indiana Jones from top to bottom for that whole movie. Fact, yes. If you deep fake Harrison Ford's face over Fraser, you have another Indiana Jones movies there. You Jesus, know. the disrespect to Brendan Fraser. No, 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 no. Has the man not gone through <laughs> enough? You can't give him one no. one great role. You no, have to. I, all he'll have left is Encino Man and George of the Jungle. If you take this away from him, let the man live. Oh, come on, come on. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough, I think the parallels sort of go on from there with Brendan Fraser. He did Looney Tunes back in action, which had this. bear with me, bear with me. Uh, that movie revolves around him having to rescue his father, who's played by Timothy Dalton, a former Bond actor. Oh, Jesus. Brendan Fraser was the Harrison Ford, uh, the younger Harrison Ford of that era of movies. And he definitely yeah. leaned into his comedic chops. Yeah, I mean, you you can definitely argue that. I thought you were going to make some weird, we were no. talking about Jordan before, I thought you were going to make some weird Space Jam versus Looney Tunes thing. And I was very... No. Very concerned because, like, all I see online about this new Space Jam movie is like the rabbit isn't sexy enough. That's the thing that people are upset about, and I love when people online tell tell on themselves like this. Yeah, where you're like, "Wow, you're watching uh, Lola Bunny a little too closely, sir. You need to maybe take a step back and think about your life." Too much of your personality is stake, whether or not the cartoon <laughs> rabbit is sexy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love, I love. Uh, Indiana Jones as a whole as a franchise and I love everything that it uh, influenced in the genre and then you know subsequent blockbusters um, yeah so I, I don't really have anything overtly negative to say about this movie even with my gripes about the villain I still think it's a blast five star right so, so for you the villain is kind of the only the only thing that stands out as kind of a negative in this movie it, it, yeah it's a it's a two-pronged thing because if they had a villain who was a, like a devout nazi and was also terrifying I, it, was a bit, it would be a simple fix I'm, I'm very curious as to why um spielberg chose to have a villain who is divorced from nazi ideology you well know? i think i think he's very if you look at one and three especially he's very interested in that kind of like the banality of evil uh -huh. like you know someone who's like in it but not in it like a hundred percent right they're in sense. it for themselves but not so i can kind of see it but it's it's done much better in raiders than it right. is here for yeah. sure so here's the thing that i upon rewatch and this may shock you and maybe the end of our podcast uh maybe the end of our friendship here's oh, no. what doesn't work for me in this movie what what doesn't work for me is the cameo adolf hitler signing his book i like, agree Oh God, it's so silly. And I remember when I was a kid watching this, I thought that was the coolest, funniest moment of the movie. And I watch it now and I'm like, this is so unnecessary. Yeah. 
Like, I don't, I don't need this here. It's, you know, it's an easy gag. It, it feels like it's a little bit beneath everything else in this movie because like, there's a lot of comedy in this movie, but most of it is very smart. Yeah. Like even like when, you know, when that quote unquote rescue happens and they get captured, right. Um, that, that sequence where it's like, Oh, you don't think I'd bring the book here. Do you? And then, like, you see the look on Indy's face, like, God damn it. I did it again. <laughs> like I somehow found a way to screw this up. You know, that stuff, that stuff all really works. It's, it's relative. It's silly, but right. it's still smart comedy. Whereas that Hitler moment, feels like I've been hit over the head with a sledgehammer. Like, yeah. it's almost like you are forgetting that they're Nazis. So we have yeah. to have the most recognizable Nazis show up, you know, with the mustache and the whole deal. And I was just like, oh, I used to really like this moment. And I watched it now and I'm like, mm, yeah, this doesn't really work for me anymore. And that definitely surprised me. I, I agree. I think that's probably the one scene that pushes, you know, the, the humor as a total closer to farcical territory. And I mean, it acquits itself perfectly fine afterwards, but literally at that scene with my notes app, I wrote down too funny question mark. Mm -hmm. Like, is is it just because too funny question mark, but like, I didn't laugh this time. You know, like like, the not the the most evil thing the Nazis actually do in this movie, besides, you know, attacking the Jones uh, boys is burn books, you know? And I mean, you know, in the first movie, you saw them terrorizing people, you know, uh, taking over the ship, steal, stealing stuff from people. In this movie, they actually pay off, you know, the the king of that area with with the car. You know, every scene they're in, they're not threatening. They're kind of the butt of, you know, the humor several times. Right. And it just it kind of undercuts the severity of their involvement and, and the gravitas of what they are historically. It's like, okay. Yeah. And even like there's a scene where, you know, our female lead is threatened and it's all, it's all for show. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything with the Nazis do here is for show. And it does feel like Spielberg kind of fell into the trap of the kind of like Nazis are a shorthand for evil. So I don't have to, I don't have to make a threat here. You'll just, you'll just figure it out. And, but you're right. It is, they are kind of uh, silly and, not they don't feel very dangerous like the most dangerous things in the movies are kind of self-inflicted right um you know like you know going underneath the uh the church which has a great x marks the spot moment it's a nice little callback to the beginning of the movie it really works it's great um but you know them having to dive under the water and the rats attacking them and oh that's another thing i like that indy's father has his own fear (laughs) of animals like rats big ones it's it's a good moment but Love that it. stuff is dangerous. Uh, the stuff with the the guys protecting the secret of the grail is dangerous. And then, of course, going on those quests at the end, you know, Jehovah starts with an eye. That yeah. stuff is very dangerous as well. Uh, but nothing the Nazis do, they, they seem to be, you know, as we mentioned with our villain, just there to make Indy run. It's right. just there to speed him up. Right. Um, but I, and I will say that, you know, obviously no one's heard this, but in the test episode we did, we complained about the special effects in uh, Temple of Doom uh, that got pretty cheap near the end there. Um, and this, you don't have that. I think overall, they're very good. Uh, right. Certainly, you can see that it, they are older effects, right. but not so much that it takes you out of it. Uh, but maybe maybe my favorite effect in the movie, other than the the death of our villain, which is uh, suitably hideous. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. is the uh the the uh the bird attack 
um, <laughs> headed, yeah. headed by Henry Jones. It's a really great, smart moment. I really like, I really like that. And, but most of the action here is really good. And like, honestly, you know, what will never get old in an Indiana, Indiana Jones movie. What's that? The punch sound effects. Oh, they are the, they're the best. They are ridiculous and over the top. Uh, and in any other movie, I would probably roll my eyes. But other than the theme music, I don't think anything screams Indiana Jones more than that particular Foley sound effect. And that, that goes to show you, I think it was uh, Ben Burt, isn't it? The sound designer for yep. these movies. Fantastic sound design. The whip crack, you know, uh, yep. the rat sounds, the higher register of chickens for that. Thousands of chickens. Yep. The sounds for rats. You know, the man's a genius with the sound design, and it, it's yep. really become iconic. You know, every time they just whack another guy across the jaw and then, you know, right. all that stuff. Yeah. And I think the, the last thing I want to mention is that in terms of quality, because at this point it was a trilogy. Yes. Of course, there was a fourth movie, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be a fifth and a sixth. But I am hard pressed to think of another trilogy that is this good across the board. Um, like there's a, the highs are really high and there's not that many lows. Like the only, I'm sure you think of other trilogies. I mean, there's like the before trilogy, um, which is pr- pretty great one through right. three, yeah. but this one it's, it's hard. You're hard pressed. I mean, I know a lot of people kind of shit all over temple of doom, but as you know, I'm a big fan of that movie. Same. Um, so that's like a four, four and a half star movie too. And I think, uh, you know, objectively, like, uh, the first movie is like the, it's the blueprint for an action adventure movie. And we just talked for 40 minutes about how great this is. Yeah. So like one through three, this is way up there. It's a really good trilogy. Yeah, it definitely is. It's in rarefied air there because any trilogies you can name, they are also the exception, not the rule. You know, right. we're going to cover a lot of part threes here. That means there's been a lot of trilogies, you know, and a mm-hmm. lot of those movies uh, are either bad or the second part was bad. The third part's good. You know, there's very few trilogies that maintain that level of quality from start to finish. And yeah. where even even your least favorite or the worst one is still a damn good movie. Yeah. So, yeah, it's still a great time. And that's what what more can you ask for for an action adventure flick? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on that note, I will say uh, Attack of the Third will return with. RoboCop three, you fucking monster! Like you, you announced this, and my first, and you know this is a bad sign, and we'll talk about the next episode. But my first reaction was, "There's a third one." I had no idea that a third RoboCop existed, so I guess look forward to that in our next episode. I am so sorry. 